Peters started out as a music journalist, turned to copywriting in his mid-30s and has never looked back. He is now one of Australia's busiest copywriters and is consistently ranked by the top creative directors as their copywriter of choice. He's worked with Jeep, Crikey, ANZ, Telstra and Coles and writes for almost every medium, long copy, short copy, online, print, TV, radio, direct response and more. There's not much he hasn't done. And one of the topics he talks about today is how to transition from journalism to copywriting and how he did it. But in addition, how to help clients give us better feedback, because that's the heart and soul of being a good copywriter. But wouldn't it be great if you could get feedback on your own work before you send it to a client? Well, now you can, if you join Copy Club. We run regular Ask Me Anythings that enable our members to get that all important feedback that helps them work out what's working, what's not, and how to make it better. Here's some feedback from a recent Copy Club member who was brave enough to put herself in the hot seat. Thank you so much for your feedback and advice this morning. It was invaluable. I get so much from the Ask Me Anything sessions. I also want to take this opportunity to let you know how much I enjoyed doing your SEO copywriting courses. They are unbeatable in terms of practical know-how and your encouragement and support is so incredibly helpful. Well, that warms the cockles of my heart. So thank you for that feedback. But that's what our students are experiencing when they do our copywriting courses. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, check out our courses. Or if you're already a copywriter and want to extend your professional development, meet new copywriters from around the world and access our regular live Zoom group coaching calls, please check out copyclub.com.au. And now, without further ado, let's hear from my guest of the day, Glenn Peters. Glenn, one thing I'm really interested in talking to you about is the fact you've come into copywriting late in your career. So maybe you can talk me through what does late mean to you and, and how did it come about? Uh, well, I came out of university in the early 90s um, and went straight to, straight to journalism, um, music journalism, and worked until like early 2000s. Um, so it was lots of music journalism, lots of arts journalism, and then later on into government sort of speech writing and things like that. So yeah, it was very late. I think I was in my mid mid thirties when I started copywriting and advertising. Um, so yeah, what, I was always you... the oldest person in the room. Yeah, I, I've been a bit like that. I, I was the youngest person in the room for my corporate training career. And then 30 years later, I'm the oldest person in the room. I don't quite know what that says. <laughs> I've been doing it a long time. But um, what do you think that sort of experience brings to the role of a copywriter? Um, it's kind of strange. I, there's a very early um, mentor conversation I had with somebody. Um, um, He's been mentioned in an earlier episode, Fish Rutherford, uh, who was work, working with Ben Keenan to get his career started. And I just sat back and thought, this guy looks pretty cool. I'd like to be him in 20 years. Like, I'm not saying he was 20 years older than me, but I feel like, oh, yeah, I, this is where I'm going to, this is where I'm going to slot in. Um, so I'd already had so much like writing experience that it was kind of boring to me, actual writing. So I wanted it, wanted a change. And in terms of your journalism career, 
what do you think that gave you and what is the difference with copywriting? Because I get a lot of journalists come through my courses who are obviously looking for a new direction. What what do you see as, what would you say to people who are journalists who want to be a copywriter? What's the key differences there? There's a lot of, lot of big differences. My partner is a working journalist for one of the big newspapers. She's only two rooms away from me now editing part of a newspaper. Um, and I look at our, the way we live our writing lives and it's completely different. Um, I think if it goes down to the brass tacks of it all, it, copywriting can be a lot more about style while journalism is about telling a story that just keeps on coming. So mm. style and perhaps um, telling people to do things, getting people to change their minds. Mm. What I've found with the journalists who I've worked with and, and coached is, and this is a little bit with academics as well, they struggle a little bit with playing with facts because <laughs> yep. their, their, their task is to report the facts very accurately. And we know with copywriting, obviously, you have to be truthful. In fact, you, you've got to be more truthful, I think, in, in copy than you do in journalism to some degree. But the, um, the concept is you can have some poetic license and to be a little bit vague or ambiguous in some respects. So I find it more freeing. And one of the tasks I have to sort of work on with my copywriting uh, clients who are, who are journalists is to encourage them to have a little bit more uh, sense of, yeah, that sense of freedom to play and to bring in that inspiration from wherever it might be. Um, and I think that's what the good journals do anyway. You know, you look at those wonderful um, Greg Baum or um, Gideon Haig, you know, I don't know why I'm choosing sports writers, but when they bring in a sense of, something else to the story or metaphors or something like that. And obviously it's a different kind of style. I, I find that that kind of copy a lot more engaging. Yeah. Well, the thing about someone like Greg Baum, he's working on a very similar time frame as, as us copywriters work on. Like a, a football game will end at oh, around 10 o'clock, but he's already started about 20 past nine and he's already pumping out the story. Um, and he's probably filing by quarter past 10. So he's probably giving himself half an hour to be, be that way. Um, so he, he's very engaging. Mm. And also there is also a, a, a big difference between being a journalist and a copywriter, and it's the byline. You do not have a byline with copywriting. Yep. Yeah, I also think obviously journalists have got a responsibility to convey important facts. So I certainly yeah. don't want to um, diminish that that role and, and have them have freedom, you know, when they're telling the story about COVID. I, I'm not referring to that at all. Yeah. Um, but what do you think about pay rates too? You know, I've, I, I've got lots of journalist friends and, and when I talk to them about the rates that copywriters get paid, the, the eyes kind of roll back in their head. Is that your experience too? Yeah, um, especially if you're a woman in journalism, you're not going to get a pay rise for a long time, unfortunately. Um, not because of your your ability. It's just that the the uh, is that the misogynism in the system is just so entrenched that uh, women aren't getting pay rises. So they might be sitting on one level for about seven or eight years um, in copywriting. Um, you're off that level pretty quickly if you change to a next job. So, yeah, the, the pay for copywriting is, is quite a bit more. 
Mm. I also find that, uh, you know, my journalist friends who might do an an op-ed piece of, say, I don't know, 2,000 words, and they could spend weeks researching that and speak to multiple sources and and yet you could do a a 2000 word you know, ebook or you know, blog and it's done in a couple of days without that level of legwork so i all hats off to the journalists who do all that work and then get paid you know a fraction of what the copywriters might do so i guess what i'm trying to say is if you're a journalist out there listening and you think copywriting might be of interest to you please give it a go because it's a very short step between a journal and a copy. It's just a different structure and, as you said, a different outcome that you're looking for. Yeah, I was shocked. I did a, a piece of journalism a few months ago and I probably took three, four days of thinking and working on it and um, I got paid what I get in a morning of copywriting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by the, the freelance rates for journalism. Mm, yeah, me too. Um, but I just want to just touch back on the career things because I have a lot of people who come through my courses who are, you know, what I call in their third act of life, you know, 50 plus, often women as well. And what's interesting is the, the perception is they they come to is that they haven't had experience, and I use that in inverted commas, as a copywriter. And yet when I look at what they've done, they've been writing you know, in multiple formats and genres, but they don't perceive themselves to be copywriters. Can we talk now about the identity of a copywriter? Was there a moment when you thought, I am now a copywriter and I give myself permission to be a copywriter and to charge accordingly? Was there a moment where you felt that you you owned it? There are two moments. Um, One was while I was still a journalist um, where I was editing part of a music magazine and writing the little little boring bits at the back, you know, just like the captions and things like that. And I got hit by the bug of people reading the things without my byline. So I went, oh, I want more of that. Make the boring fun. So that was my first one. And getting my first business card as a copywriter in a big, fat agency was that second time. That was just one of those moments. I've still got the business cards in my sock drawer. How lovely. I I made my own first business card and I've been quite public about that. I got it at the North Sydney train station in a vending machine. I put $20 in and said, Benedict, we're a copywriter. (laughs) So uh, I I also remember my first moment of being anointed. You know, I had a friend similar to the friend you were mentioning about, I want to be like him or her. And he was, he ran his own agency and he just seemed to be having lunch all the time. I thought that looks like a great life. And he was kind of a blend between account service and copy because it was a small agency. And that yeah. was kind of unusual then. You know, it was always sort of just the big agencies. And uh, he said to me, you know, Bernadette, have you written essays at uni? Have you written contact reports? Have you corrected the copy from the from the, the copywriters that you work with? And I'm like, yes, because I was account service. Yeah. And then he said, you were a writer. You know, I now anoint you a writer. And and it was really that moment where I decided, okay, I'm a writer now, and only I can give myself permission. And I, I see this a lot, again, with my students, that sense of give yourself permission. You don't wait to be published. You can write your own copy, and it doesn't even need to be for a client. It can just be for yourself. What, what are your thoughts around giving yourself that permission so that you can, you know, without being published? Um, I like to show off online a little bit. Um, so I like using Twitter um to show off my chops um and that moment where you get that sort of little validation where a potential boss or somebody just taps that like button like a really big creative director somewhere it still gives me a buzz 
um, even if I was saying something completely not selling anything, I was just making up a dumb joke. Um, you know, when you've done a turn of phrase and you've hit the palm on the, on the button and you've made yourself laugh, um, it all feels right. Mm. Yeah, it's a feeling, isn't it? I think that's that's the case. You have a feeling that the copy you've written is right and it's good. Um, let's talk about inspiration. You know, where do you get your inspiration as a copywriter? Where, where do you turn to? Well, I'm at the moment and for the last couple of years, I've worked on a, on a client um, called Private Media. Um, I work two days a week in there and I write all their advertising to get people to subscribe to make it's like a magazine called crikey it's it's one of the biggest like news publications in australia and i get that it's 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 easy to get inspiration just by looking at twitter and what people were talking about and getting the feel and opening the screen but it's the moment when you turn off the screen and you go outside and you talk to your friends or you talk to your mum or you go to the shopping centre and you overhear someone say something absolutely ridiculous. They're the moments where it all comes comes to life. Um, so living sort of a, a little bit more than your work. I also am a president of a cricket club where I talk to people all day about cricket and being um, – struggling through life <laughs> all different types of people in my cricket club so i think the community and the volunteers sort of stuff really works well for inspiration but i i worry for a uh, a generation of copyright writers who are looking to just reddit or campaign brief or or just what's happening on their screens for inspiration i think the ideas are everywhere. They're in the air. So um, I like that. I had a boss too here, Glenn, where he said the best headlines come from your clients. And I, I really believe that when you're taking the brief, be prepared to be hearing the headlines that you're going to use in your copy or even little phrases or um, little vocal, you know, the jargon that might come through or just a throwaway line. Um, what's your experience of taking inspiration from the clients that you're actually taking a brief from? I love it when that happens. Like it's sometimes they will say a perla and you have to stop them and say, you know, you just wrote the copy. Like mm. I can't improve that. Yeah. Um, and they're living with the brand all the time. So it's obviously part of it. When they start shortening names for things and, and they're giving it nicknames, you go, oh, now it's coming to life. I love it when they do it. Mm. Mm. So let's talk about, um, empathy as well. I know that's something that you hold dearly in, as being a copywriter, a value that you, um, you know, you, you hold. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I've, what happens a lot in agencies and it will happen in other places, but mostly in agencies is that there's traditionally been a war between the creatives and the suits and the suits and the clients um, and the longer I've got into this, the more I've found that the war is a lie and empathy is your superpower to get over everything. So um, when a client is saying they don't like something, it's much, once you train yourself to find out why they don't like it, 
that's when life comes easier. If you just if you're just saying, oh, they're an idiot, what would they know about apostrophes? You're just going to be hitting yourselves in the head, you know, for, for your whole working life. Um, so there's that moment where you have to work out how can we fix the problem together and knowing that the client is probably in that job for only three to seven or eight months um, and then they're going to move on to something else and they just don't want to fail. Um, that's when life gets easier as a copywriter. And the better you get at that, the less stress you have and the quicker you get things done. So what questions do you use to identify why a client doesn't like something? What does that conversation look like for you? Um, I'll use the word exactly sometimes. So what exactly do you want? And that might sound a bit pointed. Um, and and I would just 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 pour over the brief and just make sure, you know. I, I also think it's the experience. So a lot of the problems repeat themselves over the years. So I find myself having the same conversation every three or four months about a certain line. I'll know that if I start with a negative line saying, I know that the client will say, oh, that's too negative. So I won't even bother with it. Um, so, yeah, the, it might be just about not exactly sure. <laughs> and that's probably that's probably the, what you have to do too. Say sometimes in, in a meeting, let's say Kira and I, Bernadette, we're having a meeting right now. I don't have the answer to that question. So you could have say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to fix this. And then, and, and then when you're being self-effacive, then people say, oh, that's not Glenn, the scary copywriter. He doesn't know either. Let's, mm. So make them feel relaxed. Mm. Um, and if you've prepared so much, you'll anticipate the problems, you know. Yeah. And then you make your idea watertight. So there are so many um, dumb questions to an idea. And if you've got an answer for all of them, it'll be fine. That that concept of making the client feel relaxed, I think is really important and it's probably overlooked a lot. And in, in my role, I've actually hired copywriters as well and designers and web developers. And, and I know that I'm as anxious about receiving the copy as the copywriter is about presenting it to me because I want it to be great. I want it to be on brief. I want to make sure that you know, they're having a good experience with me. So I'm I'm very mindful that, and I say this to my copywriting students too, is that know that your client could be as anxious as you. So, you know, what do you, what do you say to that? What's your concept of the clients feeling that anxiety? Oh, well, yeah. If you're not going, if you're not submitting copy without fear of failure, I don't know what you're doing the job for. So if you're just as scared of, you know, the imposter syndrome that you're having, if, if you don't think they're having that, you, you should be doing some sort of other job. Um, I'm constantly scared that my writing will fail. Um, and that's what drives me. And, and, and the client is, is scared too. So, you know, we're all in this together. We just have to get an ad on a sheet or an ad on 
out there made. So, you know, if we can all agree that we're all scared of doing wrong, everything will be fine. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that lovely honesty and transparency that we don't have all the answers and we don't know if it's going to work. If we did, we'd all be in the Bahamas, you know, because that we just don't know what the uh, the outcome's going to be. So um, I know what I like to hear is when I'm um, presenting, when someone's presenting to me, I like them to say to me, it's okay to criticise or to not like it and to be honest and to tell us exactly what you think. We've been here, done this before. We're big enough to take whatever you've got. We just need to be, hear your honest opinion. And I, I find that really encouraging because it makes me feel like I can say, you know what, doesn't quite hit the mark, you know, and then again, we're in that sort of territory of let's find it together. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to present an idea that's just wild. Um, I've done one for Crikey. Um, it just came out last week and it's a ad that takes, takes the mickey out of the whole COVID um, misinformation situation and Crikey is a is a sort of a news org that does stories about um, COVID every day and it's a quite a spiky publication you know it, it will anger people in the left and the right and I, I put together an ad that took the the mickey out of the you know um, arm yourself against COVID ad, ad mm -hmm. campaign mm -hmm. Um, and I presented Arm Yourself Against Stupid. <laughs> and I I thought oh, it could be hated. Um, it's pretty pretty risky sort of thing. Well, it's out there now. Um, we had to have a lot of conversations about it, but it's out there. Um, you know, you, you're flying on the seat of your pants, all this sort of stuff. It's, mm. it's tough. And when you fail an ad... <laughs> The, your your client behind them is like sitting five or six people whose jobs de depend on the marketing to be right. So mm. it's pretty scary stuff. It's mm. important. Mm. Mm. How do you manage that yourself? How do you manage that pressure of needing to get results? How does that sit with you? Um, I kind of love it and kind of hate it. I go through an emotional roller coaster. Um, so when I'm making the work, I f a lot of the time I think I'm going to fail and then it's horrible, horrible, horrible. Then I'll write a line and then I'll laugh for a couple of minutes about how funny that line is. Um, it, it's tough. Go out for a walk, <laughs> have a shower. We're, we're all walk walking from home. We, we find out some... Um, pretty great ideas in the shower. Um, really, I, I I think it changes for me every day of my working life. It's probably why I love it because it's scary mm. and funny. What is it about walking, do you think? I mean, there's lots of poets and amazing writers who absolutely swear by the process of, of the, the practice of walking to plot out their ideas what, what what's your take on that ah the flaneur <laughs> um i love it i my my best friend uh nicholas he's a artist and we go on these art walks when we're allowed in, outside our five kilometers 
and we go to every gallery and, and we think and then we talk about all the things that we we've done through the day and then then that'll finish and then we go for our own little walk so i i, I love a good seven or eight kilometer walk um thinking things through maybe listening to podcasts maybe not um it just clears the mind um the composer sati used to walk to work it was a four and a half hour walk to play piano at a piano bar and then four and a half hour walk home um it's where it all happened um yeah but um the walk is is essential in in what i do yeah i I don't think you're alone and i often take my um phone and i just record i I speak it out loud and then i just record everything on the off chance i stumble across something that's you know going to be useful but i love the thought that nothing gets wasted so i just record everything and 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 i Generally, I never even use the recording when I get home because it's in in me. You know, I know which ones work. But I find that sense of uh, just trial and error and saying it out loud quite powerful. Have you ever done that thing where you go somewhere where, let's say, a shopping centre and you you start writing in a shopping centre, listening to people and thinking you're speaking to the person on the next table at the food hall? (laughs) Yeah. How does that work for you? Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. It works. Yeah, yeah. It's about the, the the vernacular, isn't it? It's about stepping into their shoes and and finding their rhythms and working out what's important to them. And and I think that's what good copy is. It's really walking that mile in the other shoes and uh, trying to see it from their point of view. Absolutely, and um, you can hear the dialogue. Um, and yeah, you you do the role role playing of speaking to that person. It's it just it's terrific. My mum and I, um, we have this thing and have done forever where we go, what's going on there? You know, do you think she's married to him. Is that his daughter? You know, and we, we create these whole backstories of these people and, you know, and we go into these little sort of plays of what they might be talking about and we create these scenarios that are quite obscure and a whole little world, you know, I wonder if that was why I'm doing what I'm doing now because we've been doing that since I was a kid. <laughs> I think that's what, what writing is, isn't it? It's it's getting everything you see and, and putting it into these, like, words. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's diluting ideas into, into pithy little lines or long lines. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's talking to people in different ways. I think you're right there about it's the distillation and the crystallation. And that's why I love Seinfeld. And I think a lot of writers love Seinfeld because for me, he represents, uh, and I don't know whether you like him or not, but I, he, yeah. to me, he represents the the distillation of wisdom. You know, it's like this kind of flurry of ideas and thoughts about what, what's going on there. You know, is that a thing? And then he works it to such a refined point. And then he delivers it and it's a, it's a gold nugget and everyone's goes, Oh, that's so true. And it's, it's so empowering for others to realize someone else thinks the way you do. That's what I think good copy is too. It's the distillation of, of a lot of thought down into one idea. Yeah. And, and that's also this, um, the essential work of comedy as well is, is to shock people with the realization that we're all the same and that we're all going to die. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of fun. It is. Um, 
do you also listen to song lyrics and and hear the lyric and go oh my god that's the line that summarizes everything yeah yeah oh, look I'm not as probably musical as you but I do know that when I I hear something I go wow what made them think that line it's a bit like copy you've only got maybe three minutes of content to play with what made them put that bit in you know it's about what you leave out isn't it as much as what you put in oh absolutely and also and the rhythm and all that sort of thing I was it was funny um on my way to recording this podcast, I heard this line um, and I don't drink um, much at all. Like you know, I'm not a drinker, but I heard this line by uh, a, a writer, David Berman, who died a couple of years ago. And he says, half hours on earth, what are they worth? I don't know. In 27 years, I've drunk 50,000 beers and they just wash against me like the sea into a pier. And I thought, oh, my God, that's my career and my life. It's all there. Yeah. Uh, and it's like the cartoonists, you know, in the newspapers, a whole, you know, ethos or big conflict of the world gets distilled into, you know, one bubble. It's quite incredible the what they do. And isn't it wild that we have a line like my favourite copywriting line of all time is Nike's Just Do It. Mm. Um, it's three words, three syllables, and it summarises a strategy, a lifestyle, a philosophy, a feel. It's like the perfect pop song. Mm. Which is a lovely segue here, Glenn, for another thing that I know you're good at, which is tone. So maybe just in terms of the craft of copywriting, talk to me about tone because I know that you do tone overhauls and, um, you know, you, you're kind of an expert at helping companies find that voice. Talk to me about how you do that. Yeah, it's it's funny because we can talk about tone as as the voice of the person speaking. And I have a kind of controversial way of looking at tone of voice is that company tone of voices to me don't differ much, but I have a knack of being able to mimic uh, someone else's tone just by writing it, and it's just through the you know writing for a long time. But I just like what does the company want to sound like, what person they want to sound like, and most of them want to sound like likable, trusted, and helpful. And if we can work out ways to do that, there it's all done. And if you look really closely, there aren't too many changes in tone of voice between brands now. Um, so I just clean things up. Um, there are some writing rules that you'll learn at, at, at copy school um, that are universal. Um, things like, you know, writing efficiently that will make your tone better. And most companies just want someone to tell them, just write shorter sentences, just write better. So a lot of the time I'm training the company how to write in a more effective way. So the tones aren't all that different. So when you do get the like, likeable, helpful, trustworthy, what do you do next with that? Like if people were listening and that they'd really like to be able to use tone or help their clients, 
work to atone more effectively. What do you do next to create the copy that fits that when it could be the same tone for multiple companies? Well, they'll sitting in their files, they will have some terrible examples. Um, so it's really easy to rewrite them as a, as a writer. And you say, look, we've already done it. We cut that sentence down from 20 words down to three, three short sentences. And all of a sudden, it's better. <laughs> so th these are, what's the um, name of the um, ease of read score? Is it the, oh, I can't remember. If you can get that down to grade year nine, you know, legibility, most of the job's going to be done for most companies that you see out there. Then there'll be a little bit of a change. Some companies want to be really funny and some people want to be very serious. Being serious is still being likable. So a lot of the time I'll be having to train them into saying, hey, you can still be happy. You can be serious and happy at the same time. Um, it's just teaching the company, how to be a person. You've mentioned a few times here, Glenn, teaching and training. And I, I presume you're talking about educating the client on, on how to see copy. Um, how, how can you recommend or how can you help copywriters listening here help them train or teach? What sort of techniques do you recommend for that? It's tough. It, it, it's a tough thing. You, as long as you realize that you are an expert but people are scared of experts and you guide people through something and give them maybe one or two easy rules um and make things easy it's easier for you i have a rule that i give to people straight up is get rid of ing in all your words and once you've got rid of ing that all of a sudden the the paragraphs, the sentences are no longer passive. Um, and that can be just enough of a tip to turn uh, an average writer into a pretty terrific writer. So if you can find two or three tips to live by like that, you'll get a long way with helping other people write better. That's nice. What about adverbs? I know that's a contentious issue. What are your thoughts on adverbs? fine with them if, if it sounds if it sounds right when you're speaking it's right um yeah i also i've not you know that that horrible idea of um uh, i i hate the phrase grammar nazi but i was thinking about super nazi before because you were talking about the um the seinfeld thing um yeah just once you avoid being that person, nobody wants to hear about that person. Um, it'll be better. So yeah, that adverse. person is obsessed with grammar. Yeah, I just yeah. it's to me someone ex, it it actually bores me. Maybe it's because you know the more you work with something, it's just your tools. It's just something you take for granted. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you about long copy too, because I know that's something you've done a lot of. And I know that can scare people in, co in copywriting because they're going, well, you know, how long is long? And what, what tips would you have in terms of the way you write your long copy? What is your process about 
where you begin and end and, and how long something needs to be. Yeah, the designer will always give you too much space. So the first bit is to say to the designer, are you sure about 600 words? I reckon I could do this in three sentences. So, so that's, that's the one thing. Um, if you do that thing that you did in high school where you, you had five points that you want to say um, and you say it in the shortest possible you know, way, that's 200 words and that's probably all you need. Um, there are people now work, working in content, so that becomes more SEO-based. Um, I don't have a particular tip about doing that other than doing that automatic writing. So close your eyes and just type away um, and type and type and type until you've stopped typing and then just edit it down. My old writing teacher told me to use a 2B pencil and write until it went blunt and then just just edit that down. Perhaps that's the way. You'll you'll find your own ways. Um, yeah, or just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What about deadlines? What's your perspective on deadlines? Do you need them or are you self-directed and you're able to create the copy irrespective of that external deadline? Um, I... Because I was a journalist for so long, deadlines just became part of my blood. Um, missing a deadline is is the worst thing I could possibly do. I'll easily, you know, forget to buy the milk when I go out for a walk, but miss a deadline. I just can't, I can't think of anything worse. Um, so they they guide me. They're everything. They're they're almost like a religion. <laughs> It's it's sad, but and then then again, you probably need that deadline so you can just stop writing. Yeah, I I know what works for me is if I have a massage or a lunch or some kind of nice thing or even an airplane ticket. Not that we're doing that yeah. too much, but if there's a hard exit you know, that is something really appealing, I use that as motivation to think, you know what, this is kind of tiresome right now and it's kind of dragging and I'm not it's not going so good but if I just keep going I'm going to get to that joyful moment and then I can totally relax do you need any kind of rewards to get you going um momentarily moments free rewards like looking at twitter for a minute or two in the middle of a day um I I'm often if I'm if I've got a really tough deadline and, you know, I've finished work and then I've woken up at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night and I'm thinking about it, I'll just go out there and finish it really late at night. Um, it's just, it's the only way I want to stop thinking about it. The, the sad thing about writing is it, it, it just takes over your brain. So you don't want it to take over your brain. So the best way to, you know, relieve the stress is get it out of your brain and get it get it finished yeah I don't know if you you do this and you kind of answered the question in some respects but I had a friend who's a comedian and he was at my house for lunch one day and we we're talking and I said something and he stopped and he got to his pocket his top pocket and he got out a notepad and a pen 
and he stopped talking and he wrote down this note and he put it all back and then he said, oh, now, where were we? And I said, I'm just curious, what did you just do then? You know, you know. And he said, well, I, I thought of something and I didn't want to lose it and I wanted to record it. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. So you, you were quite prepared to sort of stop the flow of the conversation and, and, you know, step outside of that moment just to do that. He says, well, that's my job. I'm a professional comedian. And when these moments of inspiration hit me, I need to record them because it will not be remembered, you know, in, in two minutes time, let alone two hours when I get home. Do you, how do you record your inspirations or those, those moments where you, you've got something that you want to record? Um, it doesn't often happen. So I like to bring it out. So if it's a really funny insight that has nothing to do with the work I'm doing, I will make it up as a tweet and I will tweet it out straight away so that, that it's dead, it's out there and people can go judge it. Um, I have my phone open with Evernote with lots of unrelated crazy notes that mean nothing and I fill it up with that. Um, I think Evernote's a pretty good thing. I have another thing called Envault on my computer where I'll just jot ideas, but they usually die once they're in the notebook. You don't really look at them. I picked up a notebook um, two nights ago that I've been probably filling out for like 15, 20 years. And it's just, I looked through the notes and that, it was just all gobbledygook. There's nothing meant anything. It was really odd, but just the idea of getting it in. So I wrote in that um, notebook, I wrote, we are in a global pandemic. 4.2 million people have died. <laughs> go on. So it's just so when I, next time I look at that notebook in three years time, I go, oh, that's an interesting note. 4.2 pe people, million people have just died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like um, Helen Garner, beautiful diaries. You know, they're just one-liners of a moment in time. And I, I love those those little snippets. I think it, it takes us right into where that person was at that moment and, uh, you know, the, the power of that. Well, she kind of, I heard an interview when she launched those diaries where she said, um, I always write a journal and it's it's a good way to um, practice your ideas and to get it all down. Um, I wish I ran a journal. My partner does a journal. She's been journaling through the whole COVID situation. Um, if I was to do that more, I'd probably be a little bit better at what I do. Um, it's very useful, the journal writing. It is, it is. But I don't think you could be better at what you do, Glenn Peters. I think you're fantastic at what you do. And on oh, that note, God, no. <laughs> I will say thank you for your time. And is there anything you'd like to to finish up with? What what advice would you give to maybe a, a new copywriter coming through the ranks who's looking to, uh, to have a long and illustrious career like yours? Oh, look, just, just have fun. Like if it's stopped being fun, it's just rubbish and have, have lots of breaks and rest and, um, you know, write funny. Every brief, you could, there is a way to write funny. So just be funny. Um, oh, also, I've got a joke for you because you, you end the podcast with a joke. I do. Yes, you can be my joke. Um, yeah. Um, oh, no, my, my, my daughter told me this joke. Um, why did the toilet paper roll down the roll down the hill why to get to the bottom <laughs> oh, i love it 
<laughs> that's good. And on that, that's a perfect way to end. Be funny. And you are indeed a very funny man, Glenn Peters. Thank, thank you for you. your time today. Okay, thank you. What I love about Glenn's perspective is that he puts fun at the heart of every project. And whilst copy can be a serious business that needs to deliver, he knows that if he's having fun, he's probably going to write better copy. Before we wrap up, please take a moment to discover the power of collaboration by checking out copyclub.com.au. We know that the fastest way to find success is to have a team of people around you who hold you accountable. And that's what Copy Club can do for you. It will give you the momentum you need to keep going while you're building a new copywriting career. So take a look at copyclub.com.au, Australia's newest and most exciting copywriting community. As always, I'll leave you with an inspiring quote that I think sums up what Glenn was talking about when he talked about the beauty and the pain of writing. If you want the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. And by the way, did you know that by replacing your morning coffee with green tea, you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you still have left in life? On that note, I'll say goodbye. All the best. Take care and have a great day.